Thank you for your company and welcome back to another episode of uh, Education 2020 or Education Vision 2020. This is where we're looking at where education is now and where it's headed for Australia uh, and our society and the community. Uh, there's a lot of changes. There's been a lot of technological changes, cultural changes, all of that sort of stuff. And uh, we like to chat with experts when it comes to these subjects. So today we're at Mount Alvernia and we're going to learn a lot more about that college, that school. Uh, with us, we have Dr. Kerry Chute. Uh, she's a principal. Dr. Kerry Chute, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, good, terrific. And at Butterworth, we also have her here, Deputy Principal, Student Development and Wellbeing. How are you? I'm very well too, thank you. Awesome. First up, we'll go to the principal, Kerry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the college here? Well, Mount Alvernia was um, first classes began in 1956, so that makes us just over 60 years old. Uh, at the moment, we have around about 900 girls in our community, and they range from year 7 to year 12. Uh, we're a Franciscan community, and all of that means, it means that we follow the teachings of St Francis, St Clair and our founder, Elizabeth Hayes, and so we try to bring up our young women to be uh, remarkably um, Franciscan and in the way they live and learn. Yeah, so um, Annette, can you tell us a little bit about your role here at the college? Funny you should ask that, I knew that was going to be the question. <laughs> well, my job is primarily to look after the student wellbeing. Um, pastoral care, but I look at that in you know, four ways. We've got to look after their heart, mind, body and spirit um, because we can't just do it in one area. So I have a team that I work with to ensure that happens. Mm. Yeah. Um, Kerry, mm. for the state of education now, how do you see it's a girls only school? There's been a lot of changes and commentary around um, such schools. How do you see the landscape of where we're at right now? I think uh, data is showing that given the world young women live in, it is good for them in their particularly in their formative teenage years to be with other young women so they can develop themselves. Um, so as they're not uh, in competition, which is what they will be when they leave school. So we like to develop them to their fullest extent so they're able to deal with all of the vagaries that they might come across in the big wide world. So yes, I'm a, I have taught in all boys schools, co-ed and all girls schools. And I think the jury's out still for a lot of people. But for me, in this particular context, in this particular culture, I think an all girls education provides a safe learning environment for young women to grow, to reach their potential. Yeah, and you mentioned um, very much like the Franciscan approach to education. With an all girls school, how does that allow that to happen? No, it's a big question. It's a yeah. huge question. That's why I'm pausing on it because we value relationships here, so, and I think Francis was on about relationships. So when Kerry mentions respect, it's about engaging students in how to be respectful, but that just doesn't come from the students, it has to come from the staff as well. So it's an all-round package of Franciscanism of encouraging respectful relationships. So we don't tend to come over the top with our girls. We use restorative practices to build relationships. So if there's harm in a relationship, we reconnect and get the students to um, build connections with one another, but also with their teachers if they're, you know, gone by the wayside. So, yeah. yeah this question might be better for you, uh, Kerry, rather than the principal, because when we came in this morning, the welcoming uh, culture, if we can put it that way, uh, it was very noticeable right from the front gate coming in through meeting the staff uh is that is that something that you see from the principal permeating all the way through the college totally. and 
Totally. And it's called what we call a hidden curriculum, so it's not an overt curriculum. And the hidden curriculum is the things you see in the presence of, of even the gardens, the people, the statues, whatever, right? It's those cultural things that just are, are there that you don't necessarily name all the time. But I think we value from the moment you walk through the gates, you get everybody who comes here gets that sense of, you know, calmness as well. But then we have staff here and students, more importantly, who, who just light up the place anyway. So I think that's what we, we, we have here, which sometimes you can't put a name on it, but yeah. everyone comes through and that's what they I love they that say. term that you put on it, hidden curriculum. Mm. Uh, with that, is a hidden curriculum just as important as the overt curriculum, oh. the one that we probably talk about most of the time? When you put it into the context of the world and where it's heading, there are countries that it's very widely reported that they focus on rote learning and you must be able to do this and you must be regimented. Um, can you talk to that a bit? Mm. Students need to be... So I keep using the word students. Yeah. Young people need to feel comfortable with who they are as individuals. And you can't get that by just pushing academia. Um, Daniel Goldman is, all, is on about social-emotional well-being. If you don't get that right, then you may as well forget the academic side of it. And, and I think that's what we are known for here at this college, is the pastoral care we give to our students. And if we lose that and we just keep pushing the academic, academic, we're going to lose some students. We might capture, you know, the top 20% or 30% of our students. We need to do that by all means academically. Yeah. But if the other students are not well, we're not going to raise their capacity to see their potential. So um, well-being is just a huge focus of this school and I think that hidden, hidden curriculum that's here is, is that, that you see kids who do, for the most part, we don't always get it right, and I don't think any school can do that, but for the most part, our girls feel safe and safe to learn. Yeah, Dr. Kerry uh, Chute, and I use your full title again, because for the listeners, um, you've got a Doctorate of Education, Masters of Educational Leadership, Bachelor of Arts, and Certificate of Teaching. Mm -hmm. So you've got the credentials, you've got the experience, yeah. you're the principal of uh, this college. Mm. With what you've just heard in mind, uh, and we've heard through these conversations in the series that uh, everybody is expecting big changes in the job uh, opportunities and market into the future mm -hmm. with artificial intelligence, robots and all of that sort yep. of stuff. Yep. So where do you see uh, people, humans, the students that you're educating now fitting in in the future to be productive to society? Well, I think one of the things that's always been the case for Mount Alvernia, there's any student who comes to us, irrespective of their talents um, or their abilities, will be able to achieve. And I tell the story all the time of a couple of our past students to illustrate my point. And I told this story last night at our um, orientation night with our year um, seven parents for next year. And the story goes something like this. At the moment, we have one of our past students who's doing her PhD in London on, on genetics and genetic engineering. Yeah. So she did very well at school. She's won academic awards at university, six from last report. Now, that young woman is a high flyer, yes, and she's doing very well and she'll make a real difference in the world. There's another story that comes to the fore every week. We have a lovely young woman who graduated from here, I'm going to say seven or eight years ago. She went in to be a pastry chef. 
So when she was qualified as a pastry chef, she then thought, I'm going to start my own business. So she went and got her TAFE qualifications in business. She then applied for an ABN, came to school here, made an appointment with myself and Paulette Corkery, our business manager, to see if we could negotiate her using our commercial kitchen yeah. for making the pastries that she sells to the local local businesses. Now... This young woman, um, Alex is her name, uh, has been doing that for three years now. Uh, she volunteered last, not last week, the week before when we had our graduation ceremony to assist in the kitchen. So she's successful too. So, you, you, you know, success comes in all shapes and sizes. She's making a huge contribution to our community, as is our lovely girl who's in London making a huge contribution to a global community. So I think we can all make our little difference, but it's about... Harnessing those talents and using them to the best of their ability because, as I say to people, and I've said this all my um, leadership journey, is we don't, we're not a sausage factory. Yeah, that's absolutely terrific. So if we can just explore a little bit more being a, an all-girls uh, school, yep. for a parent that's listening to this now and, look, their child may be at a, a co-education uh, primary school and they're thinking about the options when it comes to a secondary school... And you mentioned earlier, like, the jury's out, but mm -hmm. can you just make the case as to why a parent really should be considering a, a college like Mount Alvernia? Well, for a start, it lets girls be themselves. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, it lets girls find their own way, and as Annette often refers to, is find their appropriate tribe. Um, girls will go through a journey. It is... Having been a teenage girl, and probably a fair bit of us still are teenage girls around this table <laughs> apart from you, um, you know full well that you, you're experiencing a time of great um, concern, great tension, uh, lack of self-esteem. Uh, the world is a oh, – I mean, honestly, um, if you consider the influence of social media and that – young yeah. women come under the hammer really in a huge way. So to be in an all-girl environment where they see girls coming in all shapes and sizes, not just the people that you might see photoshopped on Instagram, um, is, is quite consoling for the girls because they can say, right, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm taller than the rest of my class or maybe I'm shorter than the rest of my class in my case, but um, you can be yourself and give you a chance to find out who you are before you're foisted onto the world and have to have some sort of image to sell. So, yeah, I think that's – I don't know if I've answered that question. but that's, no, that's really that's good. Kind of, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Um, I went to an all-girls school. Uh, my daughters went to an all-girls school. Uh, I suspect my granddaughter won't because of her parents and that's their call. But I, I, I just think for us at this particular point in time, given the – Given what girls have to face in the everyday world, this is a lovely safe place where they can explore who they are. And of course, under Annette's leadership, we have an amazing personal development program, which has been developed by our counsellors and our pastoral people, which, which tracks the girls through their stages of learning and their stages of development. And Annette is quite an expert on that. She's done quite a lot of research and put in a number of things in place, particularly in leadership not just pastoral care, in leadership opportunities for girls across the school. And we have had, we've had this funny conversation over the last couple of years because Annette and I tend to, inverted commas, manage the college captains. Um, when we usually manage the college captains, we have to really manage them to make sure they know how to do meeting programs and everything. This year, we both just stood back and let them go because they had gone through the process of leadership. It's only getting better. 
Um, Anna, would you like to speak to that? Because uh, we recently had the first female Prime Minister. We've got a, a female Premier in Queensland. Uh, yeah, we are seeing more women becoming leaders and, and good, strong, wholesome leaders. Mm. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, you're doing to enable that through this college? When you see a team of girls sit around and talk to you about the fact they have been in a meeting with boys as well and they sit back and they don't say anything because the boys take over and even though our girls have got really bright ideas and feel intimidated, there's alarm bells there. And I think we have a capacity in an all-girls school, therefore, to encourage and drive the talent of our young women to see their potential. So uh, about two years ago now, I think, I think I mm, wrote the um, Raise the Bar Leadership Program, which was done by all students in the college. So it looked into leadership and what it meant and looked at female role models. Um, and so every class in the school, as I said, did that for a term. So there was a lesson a week in leadership training. But that's gone on now to a leadership program where students uh, to become badge leaders, and I use that term because I'm going to use another term later. So for badge leadership, the students have to acquire particular skills because no one's necessarily born with these skills, mm. but that doesn't mean they can't create them. So as part of their leadership training, if they're interested in badge leadership, so we, instead of whole college leadership now, we have leadership within year seven and eight. So that's the Francis School in Clare School, nine and ten, and we've got the whole college leadership. So we've created more opportunity, but we've also... Um, in, insisted that they do training in things like conflict management, public speaking, how to run an effective meeting. So they can't go, that's just to name a few, they can't go for leadership unless they come and have that training. Um, so that we're raising that capacity for them to sit around a table and lead. And we're starting to see that. And now, um, Kerry was mentioning the college leaders. Yeah. Well, they this year were the mentors for the leaders of Claire and Francis School absolutely amazing um, leading showing those young girls how to be good and effective leaders it's kind of taken the onus off us to mm. be the teachers yeah, it of it because mm. they're far better at it um, but one of the things I'm conscious of at the moment too is that while that's been working and it's growing and getting better and better and we have more students wanting to partake in um, committees and community things, it's just grown because they're going for that So you're giving leadership. them experience outside of the school walls, is that what you're saying? Uh, With community engagement and, and becoming oh, involved? Oh, yeah, in they, they're service learning and outreach. That's part of our mantra here anyway. They, every child can do that. But they have to put it on paper and show that they've done that to be taken as a badge leader. But... While that's working and we're getting more and more kids signing up to community things and in school committees, there's the self-leader I think we need to move forward on and that's what will be our focus next year is on developing the leader of self, the person who can set their own goals and time manage and organise and understand that it's important to understand others and to respect others. So that'll be a drive we'll have because this leadership program is taking care of itself. Um, mm. But leader of self, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment because we've used the mantra raise the bar yeah. and it's gone on a little bit of a tangent now which 
is strongly going push academic, push academic, push academic. And I'm not against pushing academic but not to the detriment of the welfare of the yeah. child. So I think what we need to do is And the hidden curriculum, as you put it. The hidden curriculum and develop the person to develop their capacity to know their potential rather than have someone saying you've got to compete. So that's the leadership that Look, we're Look, one of the great for. things about this type of forum is that you can take the time to really talk out stuff and it's important because there will be listeners and they'll take things away from this mm. and I never really foresaw it coming into here and we definitely want to look at the future of education the way that you see it but just in what you were saying I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say because recently I was involved in a, an, an event which was Moreton Bay Region Says No to Domestic Violence. It just happened last Friday I believe and um, uh, Petro uh, Sevenaceva, yep. well-known footballer, um, he stood up and he had a fair bit to say. And uh, you're looking at, at women that are becoming leaders and doing great things in the community. And this is a big subject. And I'd love to hear what you have to say with how are you preparing women to avoid, first, first and foremost, those circumstances mm -hmm. in the first place, but to also really put it on the agenda. One of the things that um, Petro Sevenaceva said um, which has created quite a bit of community debate, is that he can't understand, forget where you stand in relation to the climate change debate, but it has had massive public media um, scrutiny and conversation and exposure, yet domestic violence, you got uh, the statistics are horrific, but it's not getting that same exposure. So what's the college doing about that? Well, it's interesting because France is doing something uh, countrywide and, and basically promoting um, the uh, abolition, if you like, of domestic violence. But um, within our personal development program, and it has built in with our psychologists here, a program of girls getting to understand what they're prepared to accept and what they're not prepared to accept. It's actually a written program that we've taken on called Love Bites. And, you know, even the, the name of it yeah. suggests alternate and that's what it yep. is about. But it, we do that through grade seven to grade 10 and 11, 12, but it actually goes to year 10. And it talks to students and gives them experiences about how they should be treated, not how they sh shouldn't be. And it does raise some really challenging topics at times, especially in grade uh, 10 and 11, um, where, you know, they'll be given scenarios where somebody has been the victim of domestic violence and they have to uh, deconstruct what how that came to be and so what were the the um, signals along the way where could this young woman have mm. pulled herself out of a situation that led to the domestic violence it's about enabling them to see dignity in themselves mm. because a lot of our, our young people and i'm not just talking about women but a lot of it is it tends to be women they think they need to be the subservient for the male. And in those discussions with teachers, you with students, you hear that. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. But I think by opening up the discussion, especially in Grade 7 and Grade 8, like talking relationships back there, oh my, it's just um, staggering what they would put up with, even if they're in a friendship with a boy at 12 and 13 years and of age. And is that where you have the opportunity as an all-girls school to have some of the conversations yeah. that you just wouldn't totally. be able to have? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to totally. have those unless you split them along mm. um, gender lines yeah. in, in a co-ed school. And but we, it's really important to have those conversations. Yeah. And we have a, des a need and a desire to have a forum with um, boys and girls to discuss 
healthy relationships, which we were planning to do this year but we will be putting into next year where we have year 11 and 12, both male and females, sitting down together discussing, well, what is a healthy relationship and what can we expect from one another um, because we don't do enough of that. Um, but, yeah, as Kerry said, we have a capacity to teach our girls how to have dignity and be who you are, don't be what another person wants you to be. So that's what the benefit of doing this Love Bites program is. And we did a lot of soul searching before we did it, didn't you? You did a lot of research into what might be the uh, what might be the effects of this, what staff we put on those oh, programs, yeah. the training that went into those the staff yeah, before they were even allowed in inverted commas to take one of those PD yeah. classes because we knew there was going to be some fallout in terms of we didn't know their reaction. I mean, we've got some staff who would have been victims of domestic violence, so there'd be no way that you'd have to expose them to that. So we had to uh, vet our staff really carefully, and Annette did a great job on that. But it was also about training them that this is not going to be an easy conversation to have. This is not all sweetness and light and marshmallows and fairy cakes. It's also about the reality of the fact that one woman is murdered every day in Australia. So, you know, by their partner. And, you know, it's just got amazing consequences. We see them at school here when, when a child is in a home where there's domestic violence. The uh, effect on their well-being and also their learning, particularly, as Annette says, you can't learn if you're not well. Yeah, and you do these things for outcomes and you've touched on that, but is there a clear and succinct way of, of articulating the outcomes that you're looking for, whether it be in a local sense or in a, in a more countrywide sense and shifting cultures? I like our girls to be strong enough to speak out, Yeah. strong enough to speak out because they know who they are, they know what the real story is and they have the, uh, basically we've given them the strength and the courage to be able to stand up for themselves, not in a negative way, but in a positive way that says if this community of ours is going to get any better, we're going to have to learn to behave better. Yeah. So let's look at the education as we go into um, 2020. What are some of the big things that you're wanting to introduce and and work on for 2020 and beyond? Well, to be truthful, 2020 in Queensland is going to be its own self with the introduction of the new QCE and yeah. the ATAR. So our big uh, focus for the last three or four years has been preparing our staff so as they are able and ready to deliver programs and getting the programs written and the training. So when I look back through the professional development log that we have for each teacher, many of them will have spent a lot of time with the QCAA programs and the training and getting accredited and doing all of those things, rewriting uh, programs, getting them submitted. So that's been our big focus. Um, it will mean a shift in people's perception because we haven't had external exams in Queensland for 40 odd years. Yeah. So that's going to be a big shift. But having said that, even though we will have external exams, we can't get away from the fact that we still have internal assessment and that internal assessment can be tailored to the particular school that you're working in. So for a student who's doing English, they will have one external exam and the rest will be internal. Or a student who's doing maths and science, they will have two internal pieces and two external pieces across the course of time. So we've got to teach our girls to be resilient and understand that external exams are one thing, but they've also got to focus on the rest of their learning all the time. So it's it's been a um, it has been for all of Queensland, and I'm on 
one of the steering committees of the QCAA. So I sit and talk with principals all the way through about how it is affecting people. But the, the bottom line is it is something really new. And uh, we'll, by this time next year, we might have a bit of an idea. Uh, what I don't want to happen is, though, for people to just so focus on those external exams and they're going to be so hard and you're going to have to work so hard. Yes, you will, but you will also have to lay the groundwork all the way through 11 yep. and 12 and down to year 10 and then down into 9. So it's it's a, a progressive thing. So uh, we look forward to it and I'm quite excited because I think um, I've, I've always loved exams, which shows how odd I am, but um, I much prefer to do an I much prefer to do I think you're the first person I've so met. That no, I do. I'm <laughs> It doesn't mean I always pass them, but it means I <laughs> you won't go there, will we? <laughs> You've got a doctorate. You must have done really right. quite well. Well, yeah. it's all right. You, you know, just a matter of it's a journey. You go on it and it comes out the other end. So it is a journey. And um, is that is that the message? That's for, our philosophy. They're on a learning journey. So, so for parents, do they need to be thinking about it as a journey too? I mean, they live that with their children through well, this we, phase we of their life, don't they? we them through that all mm. the way through. Um, and we work with parents in terms of of meetings, discussions, and eventually down the track, um, you know, we have parent nights for subject selections. You have all of those things, but but um, still, it'll be a learning process. I think it probably took us. Well, I was thinking about one of my children was in in the. Um, did the QCS test and the bottom line is we had to learn to, parents had to learn to cope with that and eventually now that's superseded, we'll learn, they'll learn to cope with that but we, we'll work on our girls, we want them to be resilient, we want them to work hard, we want them to know their strengths and we want them to play to their strengths so so we're, we're trying to, we're having a really positive slant on it and uh, with all of our well-being things in there I think we're going to be fine. Yeah. And parents are part of our well-being yeah. program as well because in the big picture of student development, you've got to make sure everyone's on the same page with adolescents. So we, and we've done that this year, we've put out uh, memos to parents about how they can support their daughter through the process. So we'll continue to do that so that, you know, the kids are getting that support at home as well. But I think our girls have come through, and I'm talking about the year 11s in particular, they've um, developed the right strategies and skills they need, but we've got to be mindful of their well-being. So um, they at, at the start of this year, they had a tendency to just head down, head down, and that's all they did, and they just wanted to study, study which is fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, we, th we thought, well, no, we need to get them off their backsides as well. So we put in a moving groove hour once a fortnight, so they have to, because what, they what have study time. What does that look like? Time. How does that work? Well, they have different activities that yeah. they can go to, which, you know, playing minute-to-win-it games or going for a walk around the block or doing yoga. Um, mindfulness. So at the beginning, they just were resistant because it was like, no, that's taking away from our study. Well, no, there's more to you than your mind here. We need to get the rest of you going as well. So now they really love it, according mm. to all reports. So, yeah. yeah. So through the conversations with this big change, a lot of it has been about, um, you know, the, the compliance side of it. What needs to be done? Um, how well students need to learn? What are those changes? But I'm just wondering, what are the opportunities? Have you have you identified any opportunities out of all of this? Well, obviously, there's a number of new subjects that have come yeah. in that we haven't had before, such as psychology, which has been very popular. Uh, there's been changes in uh, things like digital technologies. There's been changes in that. So I see a number of opportunities there. Uh, I think from where I sit and looking at the whole picture, I think it's good what we're doing. We may find down the track it has to be adapted slightly because all systems do. Yep. Um, 
one of the things I do like about the new ATAR for next year is that the students will be able to do one non-basic academic subject, a certificate course in hospitality or something. So we're getting a more well-rounded young person um, because of that. And I'm hoping that that plays out over time with a lot more interesting things that people can do. Yeah, do you have anything to add to that, Annette, from the um, perspective of the, like, the hidden curriculum? Does that have any opportunities in this new system at all? Mm, see, it's change. Yeah, isn't it? And change impacts everyone. But it, there's this, there's, it can be chaotic or it can be smooth or it can be a bit of both. But I think what's happening is that because the, well, the girls are tending to manage their own resilience and development. So it's it's kind of a change that shifted things and it's shifted, like I'll go back to raise the bar and yet I'm, I'm feeling like that's a bit of a swear word at the moment, but I'm going to go back to that anyway because while it's mantra, mantra, mantra and I think it's done its time, I think the girls have stepped up to realise what is required for them to move into the next system. And then, but I'd argue, well, that should have been required in the past. Mm. So, therefore, this change is actually a good thing because it's making a shift in a mindset all round. Of right, well, this is all about this is about me. I'm not in comparison in an, mm. in an OP. My results will be what I put into it. So, and that message is going right down to year seven. So, I, I think that's a good message, as long as we're mindful of their well-being in the process. And when I talked about before, leader of self. That's where the change is and, and really encouraging that through teaching it because you can't expect kids to be able to lead themselves unless they know how. So I think there's positives yeah, in that I way. I think so too, mm. yeah. So you said that um, 2020 is going to be itself mm. uh, as far as this big change. Let's then really push forward. Yep. Uh, how do you think it all looks? And, and look, a lot can change and a lot of predictions are made and they never go anywhere near it. But um, give it 10 years' time, what do you think education looks like? Well, for a start, it's not going to work if it's not going to be relational. We'll never make schools work if then you're not in connection with people. So um, while I'm sure that we will be doing a lot more things online, there will still have to be relationships because otherwise we're not turning out robots. We want to turn out people. What well, does that mean for humans? The relationship side of it even becomes more important than ever before because that is the unique let's put it in, in commercial terms, a unique selling proposition of an individual versus a robot. Yeah, perhaps. It, I, I think it depends on the job you want done, of course. Artificial intelligence has got its place, particularly yeah. in terms of tedious things like filling up cans with jam and those sorts <laughs> of things, which people did once and put the lids on jam. You know, the people have got a more capacity to do more. I just think it's going to take some real considered thinking. We're going to have to really consider it. It's not going to be rush in. No matter what you say, if you don't have a committed and dedicated workforce, and I'll talk about my workforce as teachers, you're not going to get a good outcome no matter what business you're in. You can automate all you like, but if you don't take care of your customers and if you don't know what your core values are and if you stray from your core value set, that's why organisations fail. They fail because they stray from their core value set. And I can quote you any number of organisations. Just look at the Westpac Bank. Look at the Royal Commission. What about the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse? 
Those people abused those children because they forgot what their core values were of the organisation they began. And if we stray from our core values, no matter how much automation we've got or whatever, and our core values are people, 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 and more people, and in our case, people made in the image and likeness of God, and as beings in their own right and did, uh, owed respect because of their actual humanity, uh, will fail no matter what we do. And any school that strays away from its core values, which ours are very clear, um, and other systems I've been in, I've seen them stray from the core values. And if you if you look at it, the point is that when you don't adhere strongly to your values, you'll fail. And you'll fail if you're selling shoes in a, in a store. If you don't look after your customers, the whole business will fail. It's not no different from schools. Our business is girls and girls' education. If we stray from that and we don't stick to our core values, which are Franciscan values, which have people and relationships first. I'll just draw your attention to that. You can't see this. I could do a Philip Adams now and hold it up so you could <laughs> see it, which he does every time I listen to him on the radio. But that's St. Francis and Gubbio. Now, Gubbio's the wolf. The wolf was allegedly, I'll say, because, you know, sometimes you never want to let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> uh, but... The fact that he has his hand on the wolf's head shows his respect for the wolf and the fact that the wolf is nudging up against him wanting to be patted shows the wolf's respect for Francis. Now that's the sort of, and I'm not suggesting the students are <laughs> the wolf and we're, <laughs> and we're Francis, but I, you, get the, you get the story. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I'd say. Um, a school will fail if you don't, don't adhere to your core values. So then, Annette, can we take it from needing to stay attached to the core values and uh, that is a means to stay away from failure to now let's look at the strengths of staying with core values. What are the, what are the positives? What are the affirmative things that you're going to get out of staying with your core values? Oh, geez. <laughs> Where do you start? You, let's, uh, I'll go back to the students. You yeah. have, you have well-rounded students who are respectful of Thanks, Others Millie. and of society and who go out and are productive members of society. They're not they're, – they're able to engage in groups. I mean, Kerry was talking – we're talking about automation, but someone's got to come up with those ideas as mm. well. So unless you're able to work in a team and be productive and build relationships in that team, then how are you going to come up with these ideas anyway? And most workplaces these days, including ours, you need to be able to work in a team. So oh, gosh, core yes. values, you know, we haven't named them, but respect, compassion, love, trust in God, service, and there's more that I can't yeah. think of right at the Simplicity, moment. Simplicity, And yeah. I'll get shot for it. No, you won't. Not I by you, but by the students. <laughs> the students would laugh at me. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're committing ourselves to raising good young women who are going to be respected in society. And we hear that from the community when our students go out on, you know, they might be on a work placement or we hear from an employee who has employed, employer who has employed one of our girls saying how wonderful they are. Now, that, that admittedly, we've got great families here as well, but it's great to hear that that has uh, transferred when they've moved on past school and because you don't, know, you don't get to see it, so it's great to hear it. But it's, it, those values, when we employ staff... That's what we use as our, um, as our 
criteria, criteria. you know, we've got to, and we don't always get it right because you can't always get it right. But if you've got core values and you've got something to live by, haven't you? And you've got something to always return to. And when you're talking to parents because their child has gone a little bit astray, you can say, well, you know, that core value is ours here and your daughter's not managing to do that. So how are you going to help us do it? Um, because we do work here very much as a wraparound, so we're not in isolation, no. any of us. So if there's a student problem, we work together with the parents and the family and other teachers to help that student through. But, you know, you got if you don't have values, you've got nothing to hold on to. You know, that's... Mm, you no, could totally start me true. on a pedestal there. Yeah, well, I, I do. I make speeches all the time mm. about this, as you've probably all just heard before. But, mm. um, it, it's, but it is. It's, it's core to what you do. You have to have a... When, when you're faced with a difficult situation, and we often are, um, you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to react, I'm going to uh, deal with this situation because these are my core values. So that person needs to be called to account because what they have done does not sit with our core values, whether they are a parent, whether they are a student, whether they are a staff member. Everyone has to be very clear about that's the way we do things around here. That's our mm. culture. It's our culture is we live by Franciscan values. We do it in everything we do. And as I say to people, um, we don't have a hierarchy here. I may well be the principal, but I do a job. Annette does her job. Camilla does her job. Paulette does her job. The girls do their jobs. The people in La Cucina do their jobs. Everyone is equally valued. We just do something differently. So if we all do our jobs really well, then the whole thing's got a beautiful synergy and it works nicely. Mind you, and that's what that's what parents are paying for. They yeah. sign up for the Franciscan ethos. That's what they sign up for in the in the main. Yeah, they do. You agree. So oh, totally. if we don't call people to account to live by that, then we're not doing ourselves a service. And as a business, you're not doing your your business a service, which Kerry um, referred to before. So yeah, they're vital to mm. us. Just mm. speaking about parents, uh, mm. the engagement of parents with the school. Has that changed over the years and is it continuing to change? Well, gone are the days when you only had parents here to have working bees and sell cakes at a cake store yeah. um, or come once a year for a parent-teacher interview. It's, quite, it's changed quite markedly now. Um, in working with Catholic Parents Australia, uh, they're working very closely on parent engagement and all their research says the best parent engagement you can have at school level is a parent's interest in their student's academic outcome. Does that mean the parent participating in the school it or doing that remotely from no, the school? No, well, it can. Um, I'll just give you one yeah. example that's working here at school in our maths area. Yeah. Our um, head of maths, um, she will video her teaching in a couple of ways and that will be available for parents to have a look at when their students are doing their homework in inverted commas. That's great, isn't it? Because how many times do you hear the parents see the kids Homework and goes, what? I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Now we've got a video we can watch. Yeah, so so she does that regularly uh, and is encouraging all of her staff, particularly, um, and it works in the maths area too, but uh, girls, that, well, did, um, I never did. Um, maths um, is one of girls' Achilles' heel, can be if you don't work through it really equally. Well, so she's doing a lot of creative things around that. But to get parents engaged, so the parents can say, okay, well, Miss said that, you know, this is one way we could do it, but let's have a look at it. Which way do you think you want to do it? So, so for a parent that's listening to this now, what, what encouragement would you give them as far as engaging in their child's education? Communicate with their teachers. 
communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, <laughs> totally. This yeah, sounds like it's a conversation that you have had. Yeah, well, well, we encourage it and yeah. we encourage it both ways because we have a no surprises policy here at this school. So if a student is not achieving very well, then the parents need to know that. So it works both ways. So if a parent's a bit concerned, they should be communicating with the subject teacher or whoever is the best person at the time. Mm. But, yeah, that's strongly encouraged. Mm. As you, as Kerry said last night at the Year 7 uh, 2020 Parent Night, she said, no problem can be solved unless you let us know what the problem is. So you've got it. We, we don't hide under a bushel here. We need to know what's going on so we can solve it. And we've always got our doors open yeah, to we're that. Actively, so. We actively work on mm. that. Mm. Yeah. Dr Kerry Cheat, the Principal, and Annette Butterworth, Deputy Principal, Student Development and Wellbeing, thank you very much for your time with our listeners. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Mm.